we all have that friend who only calls us when they need something. It's like they need a couch moved. They want, they want us to do something for them. You know, they don't actually care about us. They just want to use us when it's convenient for them. And for a lot of us, we have that relationship with ourselves. It's like, I only talk to you, me talking to my body. I only talk to you when you're not doing what I want you to do or when you're not performing the way that I think you should perform or when there's quote unquote something wrong or I'm invested in quote unquote making you better in some kind of specific way. And so we have this relationship where it's like my body is not trying to pick up my phone calls if I've been ignoring it for a period of time. There's some repair that goes into that relationship and it is relational. And we do have to earn back our own trust by, you know, saying this is, you know, it's not just, it's not a lark. This is an honest attempt to reconnect. And I am willing to be patient. Hello, and welcome to the Grounded Families podcast with me, Julia Goodall, psychologist and coach. This is a podcast for all families navigating life, love and relationships. We delve into our stories and experiences of family and how these go on to shape and change who we are. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. This week on the podcast, I speak with the wonderful Mara Glatzel. She's an intuitive coach, a writer, and the host of the wonderful podcast called Needy. Mara has such a gift, I think, for for speaking about things and parts of ourselves that are either very entrenched or kind of outside of our realm of wanting to look at, shall we say. (laughs) And she does this in such a warm and inviting way rather than in a shaming way. And she also manages to be present with you while she does that. So she is very open about her own journey um, into like discovering and looking after her own needs. It's such an important gift to have and such as like a special gift to have that you can tread that really fine line between challenging and holding space. And I think that Mara has some real sort of magic in this realm. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope it is gently challenging and really useful. There's something on Mara's website that I love, which reads, you have needs, your needs matter, and meeting your needs is your responsibility. And yeah, I think that kind of sums up a lot of what Mara does. And we have a book to look forward to, which I think is being released next year, which sounds really exciting. So yes, I hope you enjoy this episode. There are all the details to get in touch with Mara are at the end. Today on the podcast, I have the wonderful Mara Glatzel. She's an intuitive coach, writer, and podcaster. And I feel super honored that you're here and that I get to chat with you for an hour. (laughs) Thank you so much for the invite. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, pleasure. I first heard of you actually via your podcast, Needy, and I sort of dove into that and just, yeah, kind of devoured um, chunks of it at a time. And then um, only later found your Instagram, which I think probably usually happens the other way around. But um, (laughs) it's such a lovely, like, complimentary side, do you know what I mean? And seeing a little bit of, like, more behind the scenes and what sort of work you do as well. So do you mind if I ask the really kind of traditional question of how did you get into this work? 
Yeah. Well, and I'll give the kind of very traditional answer, which is we teach what we need. Mm -hmm. We teach what we know. And for me, learning how to be a human uh, who has needs and who, you know, sort of not just has needs, but brings my, my full, fully expressed self, which includes all of my needs to the center of my life, has been such a journey for me. And, you know, just the multiple ways that we are conditioned to within toxic productivity culture, within, you know, femininity culture, within all of these different realms of messages that, you know, we are here to be good, we are here to be quiet and productive and supportive to other people. And, perfect and not not at all messy and we're supposed to tuck that away somewhere far away and deal with it on our own time and what i found for myself and you know what i find for most of the people that i work with is it wasn't enough to just you know take care of myself around the margins of my life it wasn't enough to have my needs be this very closely held secret because what was happening was I was creating a life that didn't reflect me, that I didn't see myself in, and that, you know, I was rapidly burning me out. Um, and so I started this work just in my relation, in developing a relationship with myself out of necessity. And then it became more of my work. You know, at first I kind of worked a lot around body image and very sort of stereotypical self care. And it deepened from there to really focusing on what we need, you know, how we even know what options are available to us to need and how we begin to have these conversations, both in our relationship with ourselves and also in our relationships with other people that welcome this part of ourselves more and more into the fabric of our lives. Mm. Yeah. It's such a it's such a lot. I feel like all of those things are almost like a life's work. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'm so struck by what you say about like the interplay as well between quite traditional versions of self-care, which I think also make people sort of fall over backwards a bit with like it's tiring because it feels like it never plagues the hole that we have. Mm-hmm. Um and I see that sort of frustration and that kicking against as that is like people saying no but it's not that like it's like people don't even have the language for what it is that they need or what their needs are what shape they take and and how to advocate for them and yeah it feels like societally we're just not taught that Mm -hmm. very often what is that like I'm thinking about like conversely like doing that as a as a parent and a human like doing that at the Mm -hmm. same time well I will say that a lot of this personally came to a head for me around the birth of my oldest child, who's five now. And she was a twin pregnancy and I lost her twin somewhere around the beginning of the second trimester. So I was already experiencing postpartum depression during that pregnancy. And that was a really challenging time for me, of course, Mm. in a multitude of ways. And Once she was born, it continued to be challenging for all of the new parent reasons and also postpartum mood issue reasons. And I remember feeling like I was a pot boiling over. I just couldn't, Mm. you know, as a lifelong 
sometimes recovering, sometimes not perfectionist and control freak. I just could not hold it together in the way Mm. that I, that had become such a familiar coping mechanism for me over the course of my life. It's like, okay, you know, at least I can put a smile on it, you know, put my hair up and show up with, you know, and I was so exhausted with this new baby that I couldn't do that anymore. And Mm. so I was really forced for one of the first times in my life to reckon with my needs and to learn how to advocate for them. And I remember at that time, I was so angry because my partner is, they're much better at advocating for their needs than I am. And I was the queen of, oh, I had this thing that I promised myself that I was going to do, but you know, now whatever, the baby needs me, you want to do something, somebody else needs something, I'm going to just you know, minimize this thing that I had wanted to do. And to some extent, that's true, right? There is flexibility. So it is easy to push those things and say, it's not a necessity in this moment. So, you know, I will push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out. Mm. But what I noticed was I was so angry. I was so resentful because I felt like it never came back to me. Mm. Nobody had my back. I was socialized to know what people needed before they asked for it, to prioritize their needs, to I created my household in such a way that my baby's needs were being met, my partner's needs were being met. And of course, you know, part of this is an ecosystem, but what I wasn't doing was taking responsibility for my needs. And I was pissed (laughs) that nobody was doing that for me. And my partner kind of like has very, very intact boundaries. I was like, Hey, like, if you want to do something like, hi, yeah. that's your job to say, I want to do this thing. And, you know, to, to show up for yourself in the same way that you show up for other people. And, oh, I was so mad <laughs> about that too. You know, I didn't want that to be the answer. I was like, do you not love me? Like, what is going on here? And, <sighs> You know, it really put it really put me on this path of having a reckoning with the space that I allowed myself in my life. And I remember before I became a parent, I would talk about self-care and everyone was like, oh, that's so cute of you. Just wait till you have kids. You know, just you have all this time. Just wait till you have kids. And of course, to, you know, that's true. By and large, I have very little time now with two children. But the reality is when you are taking care of small humans, you know, especially during a pandemic, I mean, this has been the most challenging, mind-numbing, just like the level of attention Mm. every single day is so excruciating time period of my life. Mm these last 18 months and my care has to matter. And we receive all of this messaging as parents that what is right and good is to put our kids ahead of ourselves every single time. And the version of myself that my kids get when I put them ahead of me is not the version of myself that I want to, to bring to my parenting. Mm. And 
And also the larger picture, I don't want to teach them that that's what it means. You know, I identify as a mom and as a woman, I have girls and I don't want them to learn from me Mm. that what it means to be a mom and a woman is to sacrifice everything about myself for somebody else as if I'm nothing. Yeah. And those that messaging was happening just all the time as well. Like we don't, you know, even if we're not aware of it, like you say, if you're abandoning yourself in those little moments every day that kids are just absorbing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I relate so much to that as well. That sort of coming to that in adulthood and just feeling so, so annoyed. <laughs> like, um, And to have that reflected back to you also it really makes me laugh with your partner is it's so annoying to be told <laughs> this is this is on you in some way when you feel like, hang on, <laughs> this is this is not okay. And it also, there's something quite lonely about that to realize that for the very first time around like, oh my goodness, like I'm responsible for that caretaking of myself. I don't know if it was like that for you, but I felt it like quite shocking and quite a revelation to be like, oh wow, there's no, no one's coming. Yeah. So lonely. Mm-hmm. You know, I so, I still don't want that to be the answer, yep. <laughs> but you know, there's another side of it too, that I've realized over the course of my life, which is that I had, I had also in the same turn kind of held that as a marker of my worthiness that if somebody else cared for me in that way, or if they prioritized my needs, or if they, you know, read my mind, that that meant that they thought that I was worthy, that Mm. by them doing that, that was some sort of validation. And my read on that was that because nobody was doing that for me, it was because I wasn't worth it. And so it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. Nobody's doing this for me. I must not be worth Mm. having my needs met. Now this is my dirty, dark secret. And there's so much shame in here. Now I don't dare to advocate for my needs because, you know, how embarrassing to, I mean, embarrassing to put it lightly, to ask for something that nobody believes I deserve. Mm. And so while coming to the realization that this was my (laughs) responsibility was really lonely and was not what I was trying to to hear. Over time, it helped me to unweave this story that, you know, nobody doing that for me, that first of all, I was in charge of defining my worth and that my worth was innate. I thought that there was this feedback system that was Mm. happening that was entirely within me. And, you know, of course, we are conditioned to believe that this is true. It's like every romantic comedy on earth sets us up to believe that if you are worthy and deserving, Mm. then somebody else is going to scoop you up and make your life awesome and do your work for you. So, you know, I don't blame myself for having this story in my head, but as I started taking responsibility for my needs and as I started advocating for them, I was able to disentangle my needs from somebody else's response to them and really own my enoughness, Mm. really own my ability to validate myself and to validate my needs. And it is lonely work, but it's also pretty glorious to realize that you can develop a relationship with yourself and have yourself by your own side for the entirety of your life. And the really cool thing is that the more that I developed this relationship with myself, the more that I was able to name and advocate for my needs, my relationships got better too. Yep, exactly. 
And that's so liberating to realize like that you have so much more input into that than you imagine and so much more power in that. I'm interested in the word you use, like the feedback loop, because relationships are an exchange in some way and we there's movement in them. And then I wonder how that, like, I guess it makes sense that we get caught up in this idea of like a feedback loop, that someone has to be giving us something in order for it to be there, as opposed to that we pass things between each other. Um, I'm so interested in that because it just it's such a lovely like way of making sense like you say nothing's gone wrong it's not your fault that you, you thought this that so many of us do um, and that so many of us have this kind of tangled story in our minds because of all the crap sort of out there um, but it's a lovely kind of gift as well to be able to say that to somebody and to um, to know that there's like nothing's gone wrong we've been fed all sorts of like stories about what love and relationships look like and how we position ourselves in there or how we exist in them um, and that it's a much more powerful story than it is you know just waiting for someone to help us or rescue us you know mm-hmm. hmm. yeah I think it's really important when it comes to needs because we start encoding what it means to be a person who has needs from such an early age. And when I gave birth to my oldest daughter, I had this visceral experience of like, what must it be like to go from having your needs met kind of like on tap (laughs) while you're in utero Mm -hmm. to being born into the world and your only ability your rudimentary ability to say, Hey, I need something is this cry. Mm. And on the other side is this exhausted human who has never done this before, who, you know, may be grappling with a whole host of their own stuff. Like I had all of this hormone stuff going on and I was having my whole own experience yeah. and how we begin even at such an early age to encode this is what happens when I cry. And so much of that is in response to the other person's like we are receiving information. I cry and I need something. This person's face is angry. And I start to associate my needing something with somebody making somebody else angry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this happens. And of course, society plays a role in that and parents deserve a lot more support. And if they had it, probably this whole experience would be different. But when we're, we're working with our needs, I bring that up because it is so important to be compassionate to ourselves and to be unendingly kind Mm. to how deep this goes within us and how some of this experience we don't even have words for because we were having these experiences before we had a vocabulary for it. Because I think a lot of times people will say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't, I just can't, Mm. you know, I just don't know what I need. And this is so hard for me to access. It feels so vulnerable. It feels so scary. And to have that compassion for ourselves, that it goes so deep into our experience that by naming and beginning to honor our needs, even in our relationship with ourselves, we are doing such profound healing work Mm. in our understanding of what it means to be this creature who, you know, 
it's really inconvenient to be human. We have a whole host of needs that don't fit into polite society. Yeah. And we're always figuring out how to navigate that. Oh, yeah. I love that. And like the wordlessness you speak to and how that all of that stuff must sit in our body somewhere. And is there a way that you work with people around like accessing that through our bodies? Or how do you how do you get to that if people say they're stuck with um, naming needs? Well, what I do talk about is that it takes a long time and it takes a lot of coaxing because what will happen is, you know, we'll try, this is the same thing with like that root self-care. It's like, I did a thing, you know, I took a bath, I lit a candle (laughs) and I didn't feel better. So like, you know, forget this. Um, It's the same with needs. It's like, I I asked myself what I need and myself said nothing. (laughs) So this is ridiculous and I'm moving on. You know, but I talk about how it's like, we all have that friend who only calls us when they need something. It's like, they need a couch moved. They want want us to do something for them. You know, they don't actually care about us. They just want to use us when it's convenient for them. And for a lot of us, we have that relationship with ourselves. It's like, I only talk to you, me talking to my body. Mm. I only talk to you when you're not doing what I want you to do or when you're not performing the way that I think you should perform or when there's quote unquote something wrong or I'm invested in quote unquote making you better in some kind of specific way. And so we have this relationship where it's like my body is not trying to pick up my phone calls (laughs) if I've been ignoring it for a period of time. (laughs) So years, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there's some repair that goes into that relationship and it is relational. And we do have to earn back our own trust by, you know, saying this is, you know, it's not just, it's not a lark. This is an honest attempt to reconnect. And I am willing to be patient. And I think that's the piece that it's uncomfortable. We don't know how long it's going to take. We can't, you know, easily schedule it into our Google calendars. And so we don't want to do it. Yeah, We don't want to show up in small ways consistently over Mm -hmm. the course of the rest of our lives. We want it to be easier. And I think we can have compassion for that too. It's like, of course we want it to be easier. We're in a world where we have way too much on our plate. And it seems like this is the thing that I don't have time for when really fostering a trustworthy and, you know, powerfully affirming relationship with yourself is, in my opinion, the number one thing that you can do to improve every aspect of your life. And everything else. Yeah, exactly. It's also it feels like sometimes learning that language of your body again that we would have mm-hmm. known like intuitively as kids. And often we are, I mean, I guess you're not eating now, you're not doing this, you're not sleeping now, you're not, you know what I mean? You can't be this tired because it's term time. It, like all those messages that our bodies receive until we sort of lose contact with them. Um, and then having to relearn that, it just feels like, I don't know, it feels like something that we really have to tackle like societally as well. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about school, as I say this, and I've got two kids in school and there's so much stuff about, you can't do this now. This is not the time for that now. And the poor um, head teacher, I think, just despairs with me because I'm always messaging saying, please, can you let them eat a fruit if they're hungry? I don't want them to like this is not this is not a road I want to go down. They're five and, you know, eight Mm -hmm. and things like that. But I feel like our systems are set up not for us. They set up for productivity Mm -hmm. and to get the most out of us. Like you say, Mm -hmm. like, like the friend who wants a couch moved, it's like. 
it's such a perfect analogy. It's like, how can I extract something from you? Mm-hmm. And that's your worth, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like there's yeah. so, so much to untangle and unpick. And, and sometimes I feel sad about how we, I don't like to talk about wasting lives, but I feel like it's hard to then do that work as an adult and use mm-hmm. your life that you could be doing things you love and, you know, like whatever it is you're into. But instead we're going back to almost child stage and learning like the most basic thing of like what does our body need and, and how do we yeah read those needs and how do we meet them? Um, and I think there's grief in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important that we're doing this work ourselves as parents yeah. so that we can model it. We're having these conversations, you know, in whatever age appropriate way in our houses to offset some of the messaging that's happening in the world around us. Also, you know, something that I am really interested in focusing on both with myself and also with my kids is body literacy. You know, I I remember when I was first trying to get pregnant, I really understood my, you know, whole menstrual cycle uh, in, in a way that I was like just floored that this whole thing was happening inside of me that I had no, you know, I mean, hormones, (laughs) hormones, what? (laughs) And, you know, really understanding because, you know, up until that point, my relationship with my body had been about what my body looked like and how it was perceived by other people. And it's hard to develop a relationship with your body if that's your full relationship with it. Yeah. And so, you know, I found in my relationship with myself, and I love to share this with my kids, it's like the more that I learn about my nervous system or even my organs, I am just obsessed right now with my liver. You know, I started thinking a lot about how we integrate and we digest things and, you know, both food, obviously, but also information. And we're in this information age and we're in this pandemic. We're all home with our cell phones and all of these things. And it's like so much to digest more than ever every single day so i just started learning about the liver the liver is amazing i mean amazing and so when i begin to really know more about my liver my relationship with my body goes from what is right and good to eat or look or you know whatever to holy cow, this part of my body is working so hard on my behalf every single day. What actions can I take to support my body? Mm-hmm. And it becomes less about how we look or you know, all of these different things that we get caught up in and more about like, there is an entirely magical and wise ecosystem inside of each and every one of us. And we get to be in relationship with ourselves through those, you know, through even understanding what's going on with our hormones, what's going on with our sleep, what's going on with our digestion. And, you know, in that way, then self-care becomes less about like taking a bath and lighting a candle and more about like I drank lemon water in the morning for years (laughs) without any kind of it was just like, I don't know, I read an article and said, like, drink lemon water, it'll make your skin nice or something like that. And I did it for such a long time. Yeah. And, you know, and it didn't really mean anything, because it wasn't attached to anything. But now that I can understand how doing something like that impacts my liver's ability to support me and to for me to feel 
you know, as well as possible inside of my body, I have a whole different understanding of why I might prioritize that care. I love that. And then it feels like more a communing or a communion than a just like an empty task. Yeah. And I want to teach that to my kids because, you know, that's something I feel like, especially as a teenage girl, would have made such a difference to me to have an understanding of my bodily systems and, you know, how my feelings were associated with my nervous system, how, you know, and we think, well, kids can't really grok that. But, you know, my five-year-old is, she has this body book, which actually I'm mad about the body book because it has, it's a 300 page book and it has nothing in there about the female reproductive system. But that's a point aside, whatever. She loves the body book. She loves to read about it. And I think it is really interesting and powerful when we can see ourselves in a more multidimensional way versus I am good when X, Y, Z. And I'm, you know, bad when. Just such a, a flat in your head, like not existing in your body at all. That's really interesting. Well, and it leads to this care that is capitalist in nature because, you know, it it serves only to get us back into good working order so that we can get back to work (laughs) yeah, or that we can look good or that somebody else will approve of us. And when we really start to build this relationship with our bodies, it's like, I am, you know, I have a vested interest in my body's ability to keep waking up every morning and, you know, doing the things. And so I can see how supporting myself Mm. in that endeavor is different than the self-care that we're sold. Mm. You know, it has a deeper resonance. It has like a, we're in this together vibe between me and my body. Yeah. And it's just so much more meaningful. I love that as a way in with kids, I feel like it also feels like then they're able to attach to them, not just something that we've said, like, Mm -hmm. these are the rules. These are the things you should do. Do you know what I mean? Like, a really mm-hmm. sort of teaching way of talking to children as opposed to like, what does your body feel like? Or this is what's happening inside of you. It's so much more resonance and that's really exciting actually. I must dig out our body book. We don't have the, yeah. um, we just have one of those Asborn ones with the little um, tags and there's millions of, have you got one of those? No, they're, I got to check that out. really cool and they've got all these little um, like tabs that you pull down and it tells you all about the intestines or whatever it is. They're really cool must pull it out again um but yeah I love that so much and again it just feels like a much more deeply respectful way of caring for yourself that actually means something that's not just a meaning meaningless like pat on the head you know yeah well and talking about feedback loops it's like there's so much information available there that help us to take care of ourselves so you know when we have we have difficulty accessing maybe our our intuition or our inner wisdom you know we might be able to notice like hey i'm whatever i'm having this physical symptom my back Mm -hmm. hurts i'm waking up between 1 and 3 a.m you know my i don't get my period anymore i whatever it might be and you can start with that You can start with whatever is apparent and doable to work with. And that's a great work Mm, in and of itself. So how is this self-care, this sort of like longer term self-care, how has that fed into your relationships? Like as you've developed a relationship with yourself, 
The first thing I'll say about that self-care piece is that it is really sneaky. If you have a, a complicated relationship with expectations, it can be another place that you hold yourself to a standard that is not rooted in the reality of what you're able to do on a daily basis. Yeah. And so I always try to think about, you know, do less and more often do what's doable. Collaborative care can be a really beautiful aspect to your relationships, you know, having your needs kind of like, this is what I need, this is what I need, be at the forefront of your relationships. But what I'll say is that for some people, this can be so challenging that beginning in your relationship with yourself and then working your way out into relationships that feel comfortable because it can be really tricky and it plays into your attachment style. Yeah. You know, I know I have an anxious attachment style and I know for a lot of people who have anxious attachment styles, it can feel extremely vulnerable to name your needs in your relationship, particularly if you're like in an anxious and avoidant attachment style relationship, mm -hmm. which I am and I know a lot of us are, it can feel like this is maybe my closest relationship. This should be the place where I can name my needs, but it feels really scary there. Mm -hmm. Work your way up to that. You know, there's no, there are no rules about where to start and how to journey. You know, mm -hmm. I, I notice that within my family of origin, there are some people that I find it much easier to ask for what I need with and other people with, you know, that's more challenging. Sure. Um, I really had to work my way up to, to asking for what I needed, like the fullness of what I needed with my spouse. There's no right way to do it. Yeah. But when you do it, you are, you know, it's like you can't, you're not going to get what you need if you don't ask for it. So it opens up this portal for, hey, you know, I might get this and you might get some of it. You might get some of it, not now, but later. But, you know, it's not like this perfect thing where I ask for what I need. That person says, yes, and I've done a good job and my need is validated, right? Delivered. <laughs> yeah. I ask for what I need. Ideally, the other person that I'm asking, you know, has a kind of check-in with their capacity they respond about whether or not they're able to meet the need. Their response has nothing to do with the validity or goodness yeah. of my need. That is fact. Um, and then, you know, if they don't have the capacity to meet the need, then I get to make a choice about what that looks like. Or maybe we make like, hey, I don't have the capacity to do that right now. But, you know, how about tomorrow morning? Something like that. But I think like we have to do some work here too around mm. I am allowed to ask for what I need whatever the other person's response is doesn't mean that that my asking was bad or wrong yeah yeah um especially during the pandemic where Oof. quite frankly we do not have much of a capacity for one another's needs and it is too seductive to read that as there's something wrong with my needs i should stop having them mm. and it's really important to kind of keep that front and center of like okay you know this person in front of me is going through a lot i'm going through a lot you know both of us continuing to name our needs and meeting in the middle wherever and whenever we can is important but you know i am my own responsibility yeah too. Yeah. That site that you talk about, like between so asking for needs and then 
accepting that they won't always be um, like available or whatever it is. <laughs> a lot of work in that area with people. And, and that's also like such a deep site of shame because I find so much that with people who struggled with needs and identifying and asking for and validating their own needs, that there's also been like a pattern of keeping things calm and that there's been an intolerable, like an intolerable sense that a feeling means something bad, like someone else is going to need something. And then you have to, do you know what I mean? Kind of make it comfortable, mm-hmm. make it smooth. And so that site is often so like so much more tricky than the initial part, you know, and that people have almost like um this wonderful new confidence of saying, okay, this is what I need. And this is what I'm going to try and this, I'm going to practice it. And then that slamming of, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And um, yeah, I find that also such a vulnerable stage where you just want to cocoon people a bit and say, no, it's okay. You just have to keep going with this is good stuff on the other side. But um, it is, it's like real, again, like infant work around frustration and Mm -hmm. frustration tolerance. And um, it's hard, a lot of that stuff. It's hard to be in relationship when, yeah, we can't get what we want or what we wished for, what we've like had this plan about. Um, But it's also okay and that we can move through that and survive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is brutal because you're doing this work and you are working really hard. You know, it's like I I used yeah. so much energy to get, you know, get my bravery up to say yeah. this is what I need. And then to have somebody react <laughs> in any way other than yes of course thank you for asking for what you need you're brilliant that's wonderful thank you no problem anything other than that feels like I'm you done. just want to yeah. close back it doesn't up. work and yeah it is really challenging because it's one of those places where the only way forward is through but it feels like I need to go back to the beginning and learn more or educate myself better or, you know, whatever to have a better ask. And it really has nothing to do with your ask. Mm. Like your ask is great. Whether or not somebody else has the capacity to meet your need is Mm. totally separate from you needing something. And ideally, you know, in very well functioning relationships, each person has the ability to know what they need, ask for what they need, and also to know what they have the capacity for. But you know, that that side of the equation is a whole other piece, because it's like, how often do we say, yeah, sure, no problem, without really (laughs) checking because we want to make the other person feel good, or we want to, you know, help them, or we want to be seen as good, or all of that stuff. And Mm. so you know, this really is a like it takes two to tango kind of situation. But I think that, you know, again, this is lifetime work mm. and being patient with ourselves and being staying by our own side. Like, oh, wow, that felt really crappy. I asked for what I needed. You know, it made the person in front of me mad, which is a huge like way back trigger for me. Yeah, That feels really bad. And you know, how can instead of making my discomfort mean I didn't do the right thing, or I should somehow magically know how to do something different or be better than I am. Instead, partnering with ourselves in that discomfort, like I feel uncomfortable right now, what do I need Mm. from myself? Yeah. Because yeah, this is uncomfortable territory. And it's uncomfortable, you know, 
as I said, on both parts, because quite often for people who have a hard time naming what they need, they also have a hard time saying no. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're really, you're, oh. you're learning it from both sides. <laughs> yeah. But I think when we can honor that, we can really see in ourselves like, hey, you know, my partner wants me to, oh gosh, my partner is constantly asking me to do things that I do not have the capacity for. I feel like I just say no all of the time. <laughs> and it's really hard because I'm like, I want you to love me. I want you to be happy. I want things to be, you know, peaceful and amicable between us. And also, you know, I'm responsible for myself and I'm responsible for knowing like, no, I cannot whatever clean out the basement this weekend i'm exhausted <laughs> but when we have it when we come from that side i can see how you know i don't have the capacity to do that and actually that means nothing about my feelings about you exactly by and large yeah i love you you're great i don't blame you for asking i mean i kind of wish you wouldn't because then i didn't have to say no but i don't blame you for asking um but no no. it's still and so yeah and so we can kind of see how when we look at both sides of the equation how by and large we're not harboring like horribly negative feelings about the person even if what we're saying is no yeah what do you what are your thoughts about um, we've come through this pandemic and we've been all, I speak like so broadly, obviously there's lots of different experiences, but that people are tired and it feels like in quite a chronic way, like this sort of way of living is like, it's it's not good for our bodies as well. And that sort of chronic fatigue I'm starting to see with people of just like, I can't even do this maintenance kind of self-care and this maintenance looking after myself. Like, what are your thoughts on that in terms of what this might look like and also how people can look after themselves and their families within that? Yeah, so it was a great question. And I think, you know, again, it speaks to this idea that we have where something has to look a certain way in order for it to be impactful. And oftentimes we overestimate that. And so we think, well, if I can't do that, then I might as well do nothing. Do nothing. Yeah. Everything helps. Like every glass of water helps. Every 10 minute chunk of sleep helps. Every, you know, five minutes of stretching helps. Like all of these things, five minutes of journaling, all of these things help. Um, they are infinitely better than nothing. And as, as this pandemic has kind of worn on, I have been leaning a lot on the work of Emily and Amelia Nagowski. Uh, they yeah, wrote the book the Burnout, yeah. which is, you know, again, it talks a lot about how there is a difference between the stressor. So if the stressor is the pandemic that is ongoing, but the stress that lives in your body, you know, the, the, the um, stress hormones that exist in, in an incomplete cycle that reside in your body and impact all of your body's functions are independent from the stressor itself. And so, you know, thinking about that self-care, instead of thinking about it as self-care, uh, thinking about it as ways to, daily ways to complete those stress cycles mm. so that we are reducing the actual stress that we are carrying in our bodies. Mm. Again, doesn't solve the pandemic. No. Doesn't solve, if we're having financial trouble, doesn't solve financial trouble, certainly doesn't solve systemic racism or, you know, violence towards all sorts of, you know, hosts of people with marginalized identities. It doesn't solve it. Mm. But what it does do 
is reduce the amount of stress that we are carrying in our own personal bodies. And again, you know, that's a great book. I recommend it it's for so everybody yeah. in the pandemic. Uh, they had an interview with Brene Brown on Brene's podcast, Unlocking Us. If, you know, again, you don't have time to read a whole book. Hi, no problem. <laughs> in an hour, they really give it all. So <laughs> head on over. Um, but, you know, that idea, and they, they talk a lot about physical movement, which again, you know, as a person who's healing my relationship with my body, I found during this time, has been nothing short of revolutionary to think about, again, not moving my body with like some sort of objective body transformation goal, which, you know, my entire diet history taught me to do. But instead to think about it, like I am carrying this like brimming cup of stress every day. And doing this thing is what helps me tip some of that stress out so that I'm not just, you know, that feeling of like carefully carrying it. Mm. I don't know if you were ever a waitress, but you know, it's like carrying a tray of martinis where you're like (laughs) walking so carefully with the cruel shallow glass. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But instead thinking about it, like this is something that I'm doing to decrease the stress in my body so that I'm not carrying this stress chronically. And I have found in this pandemic time that has been personally really supportive and you know it could be 20 minutes of moving your body but it could be dancing to one song you know yeah. again it's like something is better than nothing um and thinking about it that way really honoring and acknowledging this is an extraordinarily stressful time i am carrying so much stress in my body mm. and the stress is different from the stressor yeah Because I think that's the piece too. It's like we think like, oh, well, the stress is just going to exist for as long as this pandemic exists. And I don't know how long the pandemic exists. So I'm just putting my needs on the back burner until sometime in the future. Instead, really taking ownership of I have a, a regular practice of reducing the stress that I carry in my body. Mm. And that's what, you know, wellness or wholeness or right relationship with myself looks like right now and mm. you know for me this is taking my dog for a walk <laughs> which is which a, I kind of have a to lovely do anyway, combination so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. or like having a dance party with my kids they have stress cycles of their own that they need to complete this is again you know something that we can work into conversation and for me you know with this history of movement again it's like such a beautiful way to talk to my kids about mm. I move my body because of this reason Mm. it's supportive to my physical self for this reason and you know not because of the billion other reasons that we're fed on a daily basis i love that i also i relate to that movement versus exercise and that also is like a recent piece for me like in the pandemic Mm -hmm. and i remember like in the beginning i deleted an app off my phone that was tracking how far i'd gone the rate of of exercise and and mostly by then I was just walking anyway like giving up on actually running it was such a relief to go like exercise for me it brings up images of like cows being milked or something it's like something that happens to you and there's a result and I feel like just the word movement has opened up you know all sorts of channels to me in terms of 
we get to move our bodies in a way that's comfortable and a way that feels good and isn't punishing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such a lovely, also communion with our bodies as opposed to this thing that we do to them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. For some sort of external gain, like someone else's gaze or um, to be acceptable or worthy in some way. And I guess we're of the same like age. So we would have grown up with the, like the Kate Moss, like images and that's like hard that's in your head forever and um yeah like that's been a really healing piece of this pandemic is also just making that space for movement and and having that become an essential part as opposed to just an extra thing to do yeah which I've really loved yeah and noticing noticing the impact on your mental health and well-being and all of your different systems versus just like you know whatever yeah shape of your body exactly just the shape and the outward piece oh we also um my movement also felt really connecting because i started swimming i think that became like a real like trope but um did that last year before we went into winter and that was the only kind of legal and safe way to meet people as well and so i went with just um two other friends and that became honestly like a life raft in those awful Mm -hmm. months um when it was um, at its worst and yeah so i feel like i've built up a whole new relationship with that idea of movement and that um yeah I'm kind of grateful to you but Mara um it was so so lovely to speak with you and um yeah I feel like it was an absolute treat and I knew it would be good but (laughs) just blown away by all your warmth and um your kind of generosity in the in the way that you speak and the way that you are um so kind to people and ourselves and the kind of language you give people to do that for themselves so thank you so much Oh, thanks for having me. This was a total blast hanging out with you. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. I know this is like early starts. Have you? What have you got on for the rest? I am teaching a workshop later um, that I'm a little bit nervous about. So okay. I'm pretty aware of the fact that on the other side of it, I'm going to do only fun things, which for <laughs> me today is painting my kids bathroom and putting up this rainbow wallpaper oh. that I got for them which is a that project is that I'm very much looking forward to <laughs> that's really cool what a fun bathroom yeah okay. <laughs> well good luck I hope the workshop goes well thank you and yeah it was so lovely to connect I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mara um, if you'd like to get in touch with her you can find her on Instagram at Mara Glatzel, spelled M-A-R-A-G-L-A-T-Z-E-L. Or you can find her on her website, maraglatzel.com, and her podcast is called Needy, and you can find all the information for that also on her website. I hope you have a good week. Thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at grounded underscore families. You can send me a DM or a voice note to my DMs or an email. I'd so love to hear from you. Please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. It really, really helps to get the podcast out in front of more listeners. And I'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye.